0: And I can't wait to get into the, into today's show with you. I'm going to call the show uh, "Cultural Brilliance," and I want you to hang on to that because it's going to be filled with some information that you may not even realize happens in our day-to-day, quote-unquote, work life and workplace life, or if you're a business owner or an entrepreneur, um, what happens in your day-to-day dealings with your business and those that you interact with. You may not even know some of the things that goes on with regards to cultural brilliance. So hang on to that. I'm also going to invite you to pull up a chair, nice place to sit back and relax, grab a piece of paper, something to write with, get your favorite beverage, And just allow this to be a few moments that you take out of your day to really just engage with um, learning more about how we can all make our lives better as we travel down our path to bliss. But also just to allow you to just relax and reset and rejuvenate for just a minute as you gain some wisdom with regards to cultural brilliance. Now, before I introduce our show's guest today... I want to thank our sponsors, Blissful Living for You. Blissful Living for You is a company that is designed to help you accelerate your wellness, your wisdom, or using the power of your mind to obtain the things that you desire, and building and sustaining your wealth. So building and sustaining the money that you make and keeping more of that money in your pocket. If any of those things have piqued your curiosity, then I suggest you check out Blissful Living for You at for you dot com, And they do have a disclaimer. Just wanted to let you know with regards to their website, it's under remodernization as so many of us do today. So uh, it may be a little bit confusing when you go there, but you can definitely reach out to them and contact them and fill out a contact form or call them, and they will definitely be more than welcome and happy to help you out with any of your needs when it comes to wellness, wisdom, and wealth. And I also want to thank our sponsor, All Day Cable Incorporated. All Day Cable Incorporated is a telecommunications installation company that is located in Silicon Valley. They've been around for about 30 years, and they specialize in voice data, fiber optic, and wireless system installation. They provide the backbone of your telecommunications. So when you reach out to your customers, you get that connection the first time, because your telecommunications is strong, it's powerful, and it's reliable. So, if you have a need for voice, data, fiber optic, or wireless systems, or audio or vi- video, video stuff and visual stuff as well, please check out alldaycableinc.com, and uh, I'm sure they'll be able to take care of your needs with excellency and efficiency. Their model is is that they make the right connections. The first time. Okay, so let's get into cultural brilliance and really, what does that mean? I know I've probably piqued your curiosity. Exactly, what are we going to be talking about when it comes to cultural brilliance? And it's going to really surprise you because I guarantee you, it's not what you think. So today's guest is Lorette Rowley and. She is a cultural, she's cultural brilliance CEO and cultural brilliance is a change management. I'm sorry. Claudette Rowley is a change management consultant, cultural designer, and executive coach. She is passionate about helping leaders and organizations resolve complex organizational problems in ways that honor the intelligence of their cultural systems and the brilliance of their people. Now for almost 20 years, Claudette has consulted, trained, and coached executive leaders and teams at Fortune 500 companies, small businesses, higher education, and startups to create proactive and innovative workplace cultures that deliver outstanding results throughout all areas. Of the organization. With a client that list that includes Medtronic, Boston University School of Law, and Massachusetts Institute of Technology, Claudette's unique programs solve complicated problems, create buy in and engagement, and receive high reviews. Now, Claudette is the creator of the Cultural Brilliant System and hosts a globally syndicated radio show herself. She also teaches a course on cultural and communications at Northeastern University and is the author of Cultural Brilliance, the DNA of Organizational Excellence, a step-by-step guide to achieving the greatness in your organization. Now, without any further delay, I want to welcome Claudette. Rally to Blissful Living. Welcome Claudette. How are you? Oh,
1: I'm great. Thanks so much, Rochelle. I'm really happy to be here. Oh, uh, we're happy to have you. It's it's
0: always um, intriguing for me to have someone talk about culture because I remember when I first started my business many, 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 many years ago, three decades ago, um, there was really no discussion about culture or or company culture Uh, in the context of how it is discussed today. I I mean, I don't even think we had a cultural climate or anything. No one talked about that kind of stuff. And so when I started my business, it was um, really interesting because we just did what we did. It wasn't until I got out and probably had been in business for maybe uh, close to eight, nine years that all of a sudden this cultural um, community or corporate culture started becoming a a word or words that people are discussing. So it's really cool because it's come so forefront in the in the minds of people that everybody want to wants to make sure that the company's culture is in line with the people that they hire. So so cool to have you on the show. And I want to just kind of ask you a little bit what kind of got you into even tackling this subject and writing a book about it?
1: Oh yeah, thanks for asking. And I agree with you. You know, even even ten years ago, we we weren't talking nearly as much about corporate culture, organizational culture, as we are now. I mean, there's so many books on it. It's you know, it's in the news. We, I mean, it, it's really really interesting to see the shift and the change. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, and it's and, and I think it's really positive, really positive change. One of the one of the things that got me interested in it was. Um, Many decades ago when I was in my twenties, um, I had two jobs and yeah, yeah, quite a while ago. Um I had two jobs back to back. And the first job uh was as actually I was working for state government. I was a social worker and this particular state government actually had a really great culture. Uh the department I was in, which is, you know, somewhat unusual for state government. And right. I had this great yeah, I had this great experience, this great manager who said to me, You wanted me to start a program and And he said, You can do whatever you want as long as you stay within these parameters and meet these goals. So he gave me all this autonomy. He trusted me, and I had a lot of creative license to create a program. And so it was a really amazing experience for me. And then I moved to a different state and got a job at a large nonprofit that actually still exists and does good work in the world. But at the time, their culture was incredibly toxic. Mm. And although, yeah, yeah. And it was interesting because even at that time, you know, I'm in my. Late twenties at that point. Even then, I noticed that I noticed how my confidence started to slide in the toxic culture. And even though I was right. doing a good job with my work and doing, what I was, you know, needed to do to move the program I was running forward, it really it struck me even then. And that was really what led me on the path to being interested in leadership and organizations and culture. Um, was this this early early experience and noticing how much culture really mattered. Like you said, at a time when no one was really talking about it. Right,
0: right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I remember when I first came across, um, you know, even the word company culture. It was like, what? What the heck is that? You know, Mm -hmm. what is is that? And I can't remember. It was some business conference that I was at, of course. um, And I think it was just a new kind of term it's probably been I'm sure it's been around forever but it wasn't called you know company culture or the culture of mm-hmm. the company um, but it it was it was really just like this new age term and it was like wow what is that and, and it's funny because then I was in a um, an executive group for business owners high even business owners and they actually had someone come in and do a whole day eight hours workshop on company culture And that's when it became like, oh, wow, it really was in the forefront of my mind. And it was really Mm -hmm. interesting to discover that um, who you hire for your company has to kind of fit in the culture of the company or else it doesn't, it's not a win-win, right? So Mm -hmm. um, it's just very interesting, but. I want you to share your brilliance on it. So what exactly are brilliant cultures, and why would anybody care? Why would they be of an importance to us?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so brilliant cultures are a couple different ways that I talk about them. The first is that it's really about I think of brilliance is that untapped potential in your business culture, that most not all, but most organizations are leaving a lot of potential on the table, so to speak, in the form of their culture. Right, it's not bringing out the best in people. Uh, it may not be efficient or, or productive. It may not be a high trust culture, a high performance culture. Right, all the things we're really looking for in, in our companies and organizations. So that's one way of thinking about it. It's this, it's this potential that you that every company, this greatness that's in every organization, that's often not completely revealed. And then the second way is that is I think about brilliant cultures as cultural systems that really, de- when they're working well, they're decreasing, actually decreasing employee stress. They're inspiring and increasing learning, right, which helps us grow and evolve as as professionals and as people. And then they're also inspiring more uh, and promoting more organizational success and growth. So they're these really, really healthy cultures that learn how to adapt to change in ways that you know, actually increase their success, and so we would care because we, you know, we all want more successful companies, right? Um, and right. This li- linking culture to your success is one way of of doing it.
0: Now, have you have you? Um, I know you've heard of these various tests, but you know, there's various tests that now you can give to people that you're thinking about hiring to see if. How they are fits with a company's culture. Have you heard of those, yeah. those tests? Okay.
1: Mm-hmm. Do you
0: think do you, what are your what are your thoughts about those types of tests?
1: Yeah, thanks. That's such an interesting question. Um, I have mixed feelings about them and and kind of mix mixed views on them. I think it's I think for, for that test to be effective, the company needs to know its culture really well, and most organizations I've found don't know their cultures really well, and if they, they tend to have a more surface level assessment of them. Um, And so it might be an example, like we're, you know, family oriented culture, or we're, um, you know, we, we all trust, you know, we're a high trust culture, or we really, you know, value um, efficiency, because we're in manufacturing, you know, something like that. So they'll have a more service-level approach to it. And so the the test doesn't really tell them a lot. I mean, it tells them something about the person applying, but it doesn't tell them a lot about whether they're a match for their culture. Um, But if you know your culture well, it can be interesting. But it's it's so nuanced because even if someone takes this particular assessment and you know your culture pretty well and it seems like they're a fit, there's still, as we know, all these intangibles to people, right? (laughs) Right, right. You you just never know. Um, until no assessment can can reveal everything about someone, so it's I think it's you know you take it with a grain of salt, but don't b- base all your hiring decisions on on that kind of assessment. Cool, thank you for sharing that because I know mm-hmm. there's some
0: people that have gone to strictly. Oh no, they've got to you know I've got they've got to do this assessment and it's uh, you know there's all k- different kinds, but there's just. "Quote unquote" assessment to see if they fit, if they're fit for how we do things and how we run things, and they've got to take this, and then we, you know, base our decision upon how they score. And I'm like, well, I mean, they could be really good at that kind of, you know, assessment, and still not fit. Oh no, no, no! It, uh, you know, our, it, it's guaranteed. It's okay. Well, you know, so it was just interesting because the couple of people I talked to are really adamant about, you know, these the personality or. Assessment has in their hiring process, and they do weigh those very the answers and and the way the person is identified out of that test very heavily in their hiring decision. And I'm like, I'm you know, I need to go circle back and check and see how that's working for them. But I just found that very interesting that someone would use utilize that in the context of seeing if someone fits within the company's culture. So I just wanted to get your take on that because I know people out there listening probably thinking, "Oh, that's a, you know that's interesting because my company probably does that." But so now tell us tell us about the biggest cultural challenges you're seeing in companies today. Hmm.
1: Yeah. Well, I think one interestingly is not thinking about culture at all. So we have companies at one end of the spectrum that are don't it doesn't even occur to them to think about their culture, um, especially if they've been around a while. It's just not on their radar at all, or they're in certain fields that don't really focus on culture. Um, and then the other end of the spectrum, you have the Googles and the Facebooks and all the great companies you've never really heard of. The smaller companies that are doing great things with their culture, and uh, you know some of the biggest issues I'm seeing um, certainly this one one trend we're really noticing, I think, you know, if you're following if you follow business trends and you follow human resources at all, depending on your business, is a certain a certain group of employees that want more from their work, right? They they really want to do something they love. They want to work in a great culture. They want to have an opportunity to develop their strengths and talents and skills. And so they're they're less willing to settle for what previous generations might have you know we did settle for, right? that you work was work and you did what you needed to do. And if you enjoyed it, it was a bonus, but that wasn't necessarily a requirement. Um, (laughs) So so people, right, right. It wasn't really a requirement. And so, you know, we know how much, you know, people suffer when they're doing work, they really dislike. And one of the things, so I see that. And then I also see, um, and so some companies are having to really adjust. So maybe they didn't really want to look at their culture, but now they kind of have to because they're going to lose talent. Right. They're going to lose these great people. So that's a big right. issue. Um, how, to build, how to build higher trust cultures, I think, is a big challenge for some companies. And they did, sometimes they don't, they don't necessarily see that it's the bedrock of almost everything else they want to have in their organization. You know, high trust is more innovation, more collaboration, more better problem solving, more strategy. Right? All those things we're looking for are usually based in some, having some kind of trust. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, the other two trends that come to mind are uh, the artificial intelligence end of things, right? right? We're hearing about that more and more in the news, certainly. And then and then this, this um, new trend around not allowing, we've seen a lot of these leaders in the news, not allowing leaders to get away with things they used to be able to get away with, right? In terms oh, of misbehavior yeah. and uneth- unethical behavior that might have been brought, swept under the rug before but isn't anymore. And I think that's a huge change in culture.
0: I totally agree. Um, I, I totally agree because I, I'm thinking some of the, some of the things that I experienced personally back in the day, um, yeah. <laughs> you know, that people didn't even, I, it was, it was, it was so snubbed that, for instance, I got hired for a job, actually two jobs. I must be a great asset that I have, but I got hired for, <laughs> two jobs. The first one was for a legal secretary for a big law firm. Mm-hmm. Um and it was solely based on my legs. They liked the way my legs oh. look. I had nice oh legs. My. And flat Gosh. out told me that in the interview. Wow. Right. Got the job. It was a great job. They were great guys. But I you know, today that's very sexist and people would mm-hmm. not for one come out and say that or two tell I'm hiring you because you got great legs. And then right. funny the uh the company that I went to after that, I went for an interview, and I was interviewing with another department manager and As I'm leaving, I guess this one other department manager saw me and called me before I could get back to you know where I was and just wants to set up an appointment for me to come in and So when I go into interview with him, he told me, "I saw you walking out the building and you had the most amazing legs, and I just all I could do was picture you sitting in my office. Because I took shorthand at the time. If anybody's around that knows what shorthand is, <laughs> I took shorthand. Uh-huh. So he's like, all I could do is imagine you sitting in my office with a nice little short skirt on, showing those beautiful legs, and taking shorthand. And I was, oh my goodness! You know, right? And, and he was. He and it was for a major, major, major. You know, probably Fortune 500 insurance company, but that was the culture, and everybody knew that that you know that's how he was, and or other managers, man, and it was always males. They were always the mm-hmm. managers. Very few females, but it was very interesting. And so, if he would say, "Oh, that's just how he is," or he would walk around and say stuff like, "Don't you guys, you know, we were all kind of young girls. Don't you girls get pregnant? Don't you girls get married? If you get pregnant or marry, I'm going to fire you." That would not be allowed today, you know. But Oh, no, yeah. no. Yeah, it was just amazing, but that was the culture back then. And so it was like, I'm so happy that things are coming to the forefront because we as women um, have had to deal with some things that I think we've never, we never mentioned, for one, because maybe shame, embarrassment, or maybe we think we mm-hmm. brought it on ourselves. And right. two, right, and two, the the culture of corporate, Anything, and I can't even say corporate America. I'm going to say corporate world has completely yeah. changed, and so it's it's interesting that you say that. I want to ask you, what about because this is a good this this is really good. Um, the millennials, the millennial generation, and dealing with corporate culture are they a, what What is your take on it? Because I'm I'm quite curious. Um, everybody that I know that has a business that has hire had to hire millennials has had some very interesting experiences so how are they dealing with being quote-unquote adults in the new working world and having to deal with co- co- corporate culture
1: yeah and I, I get asked that a lot and one of the, I think they're one of the driving forces behind saying we you know we kind of expect more from our culture and our workplaces that it's that if you're going to spend this much time in a workplace, which most you know most people do, then Lynn, I really want to do something that's alignment with my talents and skills. I really I want to I want to be in a great culture where we can actually get things done. So that's I mean that's the major thing I'm hearing um, about you know millennials is that they're actually they're helping to move things forward in a lot of ways, and they also do when we look at you know people starting some really innovative, interesting companies. They're not always millennials by any means, but we do see some some younger folks doing innovative things or looking at being, you know, having more impact by the company they've created or really wanting to contribute to the greater good. So I think there's a lot millennials are bringing um, bringing into this culture conversation. Oh, that's
0: great because yeah, I know there's been there's interesting things, um, you know, having to deal with that generation. And so, and, and, it's, you know, not bad or good or it's just, it's just interesting, especially if you've been someone that's, you know, a little older, like I should say a little bit more mature, like us gals. That's right. Right, As right. Little right. Round, right. You know, a little <laughs> bit more wiser, right? We got mm-hmm. wisdom. Um You know, when we see certain things and hear certain things, it's just like, oh, okay, well, you know, it's expected of this, you know, millennial generation. But um, I think a lot of them come in and probably have seen their parents, their moms working um, in environments or hearing about their moms working in certain environments that – you know, probably when they were little were thinking, When I grow up I'm not gonna to be tolerating that or when I grow up, you know, I'm gonna I wanna make sure I work for a company that embraces X, Y, and Z. And so I think you're right, a lot of um the good changes are happening is because this that particular generation is just not gonna put up with the stuff that we put up with, um, because they don't have to. And and that's a mm-hmm. that's a beautiful thing. Um, so now um in your book you describe cultural uh, the cultural brilliance system. Mm-hmm. What exactly is that?
1: So the cultural brilliance system is, uh, is a process, a roadmap for transforming your culture. So in the book, I outline really a, a step-by-step process for, for helping an organization or, you know, a team could use this. Um any sort of organization, not just a business or a company, it can use the system. If you have two or more people gathered, you can you can use the system if you want to transform the culture. So it, it really helps companies go through a process of under or organizations go through a process of understanding how their cultures really operate, because you can't change what you don't understand. And then it, it takes it gives it gives organizations a way to take that information and say, you know what, these are the great parts about our culture. And these are the parts of our culture we we want to leave behind. They're not working so well for us anymore. and then taking that information and identifying what's the culture we really want to have to support our business goals, our people, right our vision, our mission, whatever the case may be and then um then the the process takes uh, a company through. A design phase, which is really about saying, how will we move from where we are right now as a culture to where we want to be, that target culture? How do we bridge mm-hmm. that gap? So it's really designing, you know, what the cultural change will look like. And then the last major phase of the system, the process, is that good old planning and implementation, right? How will we make this change, cultural change, real in an organization? So the, it, that's a system in a nutshell.
0: Um, that, do you find that, I mean, I have the book and it. it's brilliantly laid out. I mean, it really is very, you know, step-by-step, which is great. Cause I'm just going to say, if you are a company out there or a person out there with a the company and you want to know more about creating a, uh, brilliant culture in your company or more about how to even do the process and you want to play close attention cause Claudette is going to share with you how you can get a copy of the book. But, um, it is a step-by-step process that she has outlined in, um, if you just methodically work through the steps and the processes in the book by the end, you should have a little sense of what your culture is and how you can implement it, plan it uh assess it, all of those good things. so stay tuned for that. but I want to get back to to the um to the whole cultural thing <laughs> why is it why would it even be important for a business owner or a company to even have a particular type of culture or even define what a culture is for their company. Mm-hmm. Why would something like that
1: be important? Yeah, it's important and one of the ways I like to think about it and will often explain it is you think about your family of origin, the family you grew up in, and whether you like that family or not, we all knew or even, you know, know today, ex- how to behave in that, in that culture, that family culture, right? You had, there were unspoken rules, things you knew, no one ever spoke about, but you just knew you had to do or you couldn't do, right? And so, right. without oh, a consequence, yeah, right. yeah. Right. Or, or just, you know, different holiday traditions, ways of doing things, you know, cel- how you celebrate, how you don't celebrate, what's important, what's not important, what's rewarded, what's punished, et cetera. So when we think about that sort of the intangible of our family culture, organizational cultures operate really similarly in the sense that we have unspoken norms. We have ways of behaving. We have things rewarded, things that are punished, et cetera. And so if we don't take all of that into account, you're going to have something like culture that's driving how you communicate, how you make decisions, how you get results. Um, Anything like that is going to be driven by your culture, and you won't even know. So when you, you try to improve something or solve something in your company, it may not work because the culture may actually be saying, no, 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 we need to go down path A and you're trying to go down path B mm. and the culture will, that famous quote, you know, culture eats strategy for breakfast. Mm-hmm, Is true. Mm-hmm. Right? <laughs> so, right. Culture right. will win. Right. Right.
0: Wow. That's interesting. Cause I mean, I could see, yeah, how some things would be, you know, I think it would be quite chaotic if, People didn't know what to expect from the company, you know, from the culture of the company they walked into. It'd be, I think, quite chaotic. I'm thinking, uh-huh. <laughs> I'm thinking like a '60s LSD trip, you know, bad trip. <laughs> you know, just, not that I did that or anything, but I'm just thinking, you know, it's just it would. That's how, to me, it would just seem just so chaotic that, you know. You ever see those pictures where they have, you know, it's like you're supposed to pick, find as many whatever is in the hit in the picture and there's just all kinds oh, of yeah. chaos in the picture. That's what mm-hmm. comes to mind when I think of a company without any defined
1: culture, just chaos, working chaos, yeah. but it's just chaos, right? Very interesting. It's, it's, so now, yeah, go
0: ahead, Claudette. Yeah. Oh,
1: yeah. I was going to just comment on that quickly. Just that, that the, I agree with that chaos. So culture we culture is going to form and evolve whether we are intentional about it or not to your point. So I I always think why not be intentional, right? Because otherwise you will get chaos. You'll get dysfunction. You'll get a bunch of things that you don't actually want in your company. If you're not paying attention to the culture. Yeah.
0: Mm, Wow. Yeah. So nugget of gold right there. You guys don't do anything else. You definitely have to pick up cultural brilliance and go through the book. And if you don't have what you believe, or if you don't, Know that you have a defined culture in your business, then the book will help help you with that process. And you may have a defined culture, and you may want to fine tune it, or adjust it, or upgrade it, or whatever the case may be. Make necessary changes so that your culture and your company stands out brilliantly. Um, then you definitely want to pick up the book. But let's go back and talk. Let's ask her some more questions while we have her brilliance on this on this. Uh, on this, this chat we're having on Blissful Living. So now, when it comes to cultures, I see something where you say um, authentic cultures.
1: Mm-hmm. Do you mean there's mm-hmm.
0: cultures in within companies that are not authentic? And what exactly do you mean by an authentic culture?
1: Yeah. So an authentic culture is a culture that knows itself, right? So it's the same. I think of it as the same way as authenticity in people, right? You're Someone's authentic or they're not, right? They're being themselves. They know who they are or they're not. And right. so authentic cultures, right, it doesn't mean they're all positive by any means, even though authenticity is usually viewed as a positive word. There may be aspects of them that aren't so great, but they, that's an authentic culture. We know who we are, right? And we know what's great about us and sometimes what's not so great about us. And then I think there are cultures that are inauthentic in the sense that, um, and I think almost all of us can relate to this from you know some job we've had at some point, where the company website has a set of values on it. Right. And then and you look at it and think, Where where do they get those? That is not how we operate here, right? So they may be really glowing values like integrity <laughs> or something. And then you're like, ah, right. what? No, you can't. Right. so we don't you know, there's tons of you know there's a, tons of lack of integrity here and um things like that. And I, that's not authentic to me. when your insides and your outsides don't match. It's not very authentic. If you have some incredible brand out in the world, but you are you have a toxic culture internally, it's not right. that authentic. Right. It's like being a person
0: that says, oh, you should eat vegetables and you should be a vegetarian. But back in their house behind closed doors, they're eating, you know, all the meat they can eat, right? It's like... that's Exactly. Authenticity, mm. right? So interesting yeah, because yeah. I, I mean, you're you're pulling all the stuff that all these like pushing all these um, memories that I've stored down in the basement files in my brain. <laughs> <it's> like, oh. <laughs> you know, it's like oh my gosh, you know, I have to actually go down to the filing system in my brain, pull out, look, you know, alphabetically look through that file and pull it out because. You know, I'm just it. Just it's taking me back, and it's really interesting, um, because I've worked for companies that now I realize, well, they didn't really have an authentic cult, company culture. They said one thing, but they, they had did to another all kind of yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's real, real interesting with regards to that. Now, what do you mean by adaptogen design? When I think of that, I uh, me being a nurse and all that, I think of you know, I, I go straight to scientific. So mm-hmm. for our listeners, what do you mean by when you say adaptogen design? What exactly is that?
1: Yeah, so you, you know, the word adaptogen um is, is a, a scientific word, right? And you probably know a ton about this given what you, you do for a living um, and, and your practice and your business. But, you know, I, I took this the idea of an adaptogen and in a very loose way and applied it to culture, right? This idea of an adaptogen helping the body restore its systems to help or health or decrease stress. And right. uh, interesting story behind that was a, a mentor of mine. She had, she a couple decades ago, had what she called one of those awful mystery illnesses, you know, that were hard to diagnose and heal. And she's healed now. But in addition to taking, you know, regular medicine, she took adaptogens, maca, and I forget what else, a couple other things that really, really, really helped her heal. And she said to me, she said, I wonder if you could, what if you had an adaptogen culture? What if you had a culture that could be designed so that it rebalanced itself, it brought itself back to health, you know, things like that. So I was completely intrigued by this idea and uh, and started thinking a lot about it and researching and figuring out, you know, could this actually be possible? So that's where the idea of, and I decided it could be, adaptogen design came from, is, is being able to actually rebal- design design a culture that could, over time, learn how to rebalance itself. So even if there was an external threat, like a competitor, new competitor, you know, something unexpected, or a big internal change like... Um, you know, a high-level leader suddenly announcing suddenly they're leaving, you know, something unexpected that would rattle. Either those would rattle most companies quite a bit, um, but that that culture would, would have enough resources and enough resilience to be able to say, okay, this is how we're going to handle this situation um, and in a way that doesn't take us down but builds us up.
0: Oh, wow. Interesting. That's, uh, 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 wow, that's very interesting. I would have never thought that you could apply you know the the whole term adaptogen to uh company culture but it makes complete sense um so when you explain it the way you did it's like okay i can see that happening and i can see why that would be necessary um to keep things strong and strengthening and moving forward versus getting stagnant falling back and becoming a disarray because of whatever's mm-hmm. changed so i i wow very very interesting now you explained that historical culture can impact um present day efforts mm-hmm. first of all when you when we're talking about historical culture um what exactly are you talking about like the company's culture from the beginning and as a i'm going to say like a company like Johnson and Johnson you know they've been mm-hmm. around forever and a day and i'm sure their culture the company culture has evolved um mm-hmm. you know from when they started to where they are today. So do you mean like historical culture as the you know, what the founders of a company had in their minds as how they wanted the company culture to be and and how it's adapted or how it is today? Um, What exactly is that?
1: I mean. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I think historical culture um, is more, it may not be all the, so if the company is many decades old, it may not be, you know, it may not go back quite that far, although I'm sure there are, mm-hmm. you know, there are aspects of it that are brought forward. Um, I don't think it ever leaves the company. But I, I think of historical culture as, the, you know, if we're looking at a, the last even 10 years particularly, are, are really the ones that are most mostly driving what we're seeing today in a, in a company's culture. So a decision that was made four years ago, right? A leader that came on eight years ago and made some radical changes, whether they were positive or negative, um, those the, the last you know ten to fifteen years of an organization that that culture and those decisions are certainly impacting the present day culture. Absolutely.
0: Hmm. Okay. Okay. So that makes sense. I mean, it you know definitely makes sense as you know as a country as a country as a company. Well, a company can be a, its own little country, but as a yeah. company <laughs> as a company mm-hmm. evolves, I can see that happening with regards to. Um, you know how things were before the internet. You know those of us that are around that remember no internet, no cell phone, no even no pagers. Right the the phone that was in the wall plugged into the wall. Oh yeah,
1: absolutely. Oh yeah. Right, yeah. and how
0: you dealt with things with regards to that, etiquette and all of that, and and now this whole uh, development of all this technology, and you still have the same company, the same beliefs, the same values, the same mission, but the culture Mm -hmm. now is you got to deal with all this new technology with cell phones and people on their cell phones and iPads and notebooks and laptops and all this kind of stuff. So I can see how um, you would definitely need to have some reference to your historical stuff to make sure you stay in line with that, but also evolve it as technology in the world just changes
1: and evolves. So very interesting. Hmm. It, it, Very it interesting. is really interesting, and it made me think about this morning. I was on the f- a phone with my credit card company about something on uh, uh, my statement. I saw online, and it, what struck me is the and before they I was sent to the security you know division or something. Everything was fine, but they said, "Well, before we ha- start helping you, we need to text you a code to your cell phone, right? And then you need to tell us the code." But what struck me for some reason in that moment was. The how we're, we've evolved as an overall culture to assume that everyone has a cell phone, first of all, right? Right, right. And I'm sure, you know, if you don't have one, they probably do something else. But just so interesting how, like you said, those of us who remember the phone on the wall, my first job, I remember getting messages. There was no voicemail on the little pink slip, right? Right, yes. From the office secretary, right. And, and yep. so, but then, but all these things now that we take for granted, right? Well, oh, we can just text something to the cell phone, the code, and you can give it to me and we'll be all set. And I think in, in organizations, too, those same things are true. So part of the, there could be aspects of the historical culture that get really forgotten because they're obsolete, just like the wall phone.
0: Right. Or, or you know, yeah. the typewriter, remember? Like right. I even said something and obsolete, shorthand.
1: I mean. Shorthand, right, yeah.
0: Who does shorthand now, right? I mean. I, I don't know, I, right? <laughs> right. I mean, the, I don't even think they teach it anymore because it's it, it pretty is you know, if if you are someone that knows shorthand, then you're definitely over the age of 50.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. (laughs) Or or if you know what shorthand is, I'm going to say you're definitely over the age of 50 because I can't even say, like, okay, you might be in your 40s. You might, but, you know, Mm -hmm. for the most part, um, you're definitely over the age of 50. And so Mm -hmm. it's just interesting that, you know, I think of all the stuff that we had, and we were so dependent upon it then, We've evolved, and the fact that the assumption was made that you had a cell phone—you could have been someone that didn't have a cell phone, wanted to be off, living off the grid, or whatever the case may be—you know—is mm-hmm. uh, is, you know another amazing thing. It's just an assumption made that in today's society, the culture, everybody has a cell phone, but that's not necessarily true. So, mm-hmm. very interesting mm-hmm. stuff to pay attention to. Now, what is the leader? What is the role of the leadership in- with regards to company culture?
1: And all, you know, leaders play such an important role, and I have you know one one thing I always add in here, which is in this, the way I work with culture, it's not just the leaders and the leadership. It's involving as many people as possible from every level, every team, every department. So you get a lot of input and buy-in and participation, because what we we know is that it doesn't matter how good of a leader you, leader you are, a leader cannot see an entire culture. It is simply not possible. So they actually need to hear from lots of different people so you, they get that 360 view of the culture. Um, so that's right. definitely one of their roles is to understand what's happening by being really open to hearing uh, from folks. There's something I talk about in the book called listening to what you hear, um, and mm. that is really, it's what it sounds like. Listening to what you actually hear, not what you want to hear or hope to hear. And what I find is is that when leaders start doing um, – there are leaders who already do it, but leaders who haven't done it who start doing it, they find out some, first of all, really key information. People feel really heard, and they can take it versus saying, I, you know what, no, 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 I don't want to hear this, you know, some version of that because it's too painful, it's too stressful, I can't take it on now or whatever once they take it in and they open up and listen to it, they're able to then take some really positive steps forward to address whatever that thing was they didn't want to hear. So that's, those, a leader really needs to be open to listening at the beginning of any sort of change process and really be willing to hear a little bit about their own blind spots. It's huge. And then the other big role a leader has in a change, culture change process is uh, role modeling, of course, the behaviors uh, that we want to see everyone adopt and change or change and adopt. And then, also thinking a lot about communication and messaging. Right? How how do we going to communicate with people? How are we going to get their feedback? How do, what's the messaging that's, to help people move forward and stay motivated throughout this process? So, those are some of the key key roles the leader plays.
0: Interesting. I um I like uh you know the fact that you know leaders do need to be in tune with what's going on in the changing process of, you know, just evolving the company culture. And I, I guess it comes to, if you're someone working in a company, and this is for all of you guys out there listening, someone you're working in a com- company, um, if you're getting those surveys, you know, that I know companies send out at least once a year with regards to, uh, you know, it's all kind of questions about the company. might be questions in there about your supervisor or management or something like that. And some people don't want to fill them out, and I know um, there's one company that I worked at that you know they would always say they're anonymous. Somehow, the manager always knew what your answer, what you put oh, on the yeah. yeah. They were always in, they were always supposed to be anonymous, but the manager always knew who said what about her, which was very interesting. Right. Um, but it, it is those things the, that information that leadership of a company u- utilizes to tweak and, I guess, adjust what's going on with regards to the company culture and how they are being the examples of the company culture or the culture of the company that they want exhibited throughout the company. I keep wanting to say country.
1: (laughs) 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 Well, this applies to countries, too, right? Right. Well, that's a whole other show. (laughs) That is a whole other show. I know. I know. (laughs) (laughs)
0: That's so funny. But, yeah. Um, But, anyways. So, it, 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 I mean, all of this to me is basically information to help anybody out there that has a company or an entrepreneur or whatever um, to really understand the importance and the value of having a culture for your company and being an exhibit of or an example of what you want the company's culture to be like and to feel like and to exude, so to speak, Um very important and I don't think anybody or there's not enough talk about this kind of stuff um, because sometimes the most important things sometimes get shoveled under you know again in that file down in the basement of my brain but some of the most important things get you know put in a pile of paper and um, and have to be rediscovered so to speak so this is really interesting conversation for all of us that want to really have the DNA of our company culture be really, really strong and able to adapt because of the adaptogens that we've designed into our our cultural company, a cult, company's cultural processes is is just great, 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 great information. Now, I know you have a lot of experience behind you know cultural brilliance and a company's culture and designing it and all the aspects of it what do you Mm -hmm. see um, or or, here's one I want to, before we leave the leadership, what do you find is the hardest thing or the hardest thing, what do leaders have the hardest time assessing and addressing when it comes to their particular
1: cultures? Yeah, I think that that leaders often have a hard time assessing Assessing things that and this will this may not be very conscious for them, sometimes they may not have a lot of awareness about it, but things that make them feel that they haven't done a good job, right? Um, that, that things that are gonna make them feel bad about their leadership or or make them look incompetent. Uh and so it depends, of course, what's driving the leader and motivating them. But for some leaders right. I know that's really, really challenging. Um I was working with a a leader I'm still working with actually in uh um <laughs> a large-scale culture change, and which is is going well. And, and you know, it, early on, he said to me, um, I said something about there being low, tru- low trust in the organization. And he said, what are you talking about? We trust each other. And he was – and they trusted each other like if, you know, you needed to move – you're moving to a new house on a weekend and you needed, you know, your coworkers to help you out, they would do right. that, right? So kind of friend-based trust but they didn't trust each other enough to sit down and have a tough conversation. That's the kind of trust we really need in companies to get things done. So I I, I explained different kinds of trust. And he, after a while, he actually, and and I let it go because it was, he wasn't, I had said my piece and it was clear he needed to think about it. wasn't really open yet. And then about a month later he said, Oh wow, we don't have much trust here at all. (laughs) Um, And that was, (laughs) that allowed us to start working on it more directly, right? Once he was open to seeing it. So, I think it's, it's a lot of those things that a leader is going to say no because they just, you know, when we think about ourselves as, as, in leadership roles, right, to get that kind of feedback feels terrible when you've tried right. to do a good job. And so that can make, you know, certain aspects of the culture harder to assess and initially, initially.
0: Well, you know, it's almost as if um, it's, you, you do get, a, you know, a little defensive because it's your baby, so to speak. Right. And, right. you know, everybody has a perfect baby you know, (laughs) in in their eyes, right? And so when someone points out that your baby is that perfect, you're like, what the heck? What are you talking about? That's That's really hard to hear. Right, exactly. It's hard to hear, for one, because your baby is perfect in your mind, or at least you thought it was. And then, you know, to hear it and then to, you know, I think what it does is it plants the seed for a person to become aware of things, and then once they're aware of it, then it starts popping up and they start noticing it. So like how you said the gentleman, you're still working with him. Oh, no, we still we trust each other, you know, so-and-so. Well, yeah, you guys trust each other to do, quote-unquote, the fun things, the pleasurable things, the positive things for business growth and development, but you don't trust each other enough to be upfront and honest with each other even when what you have to say is not what the person wants to hear, right, but they need to hear it. And so um it, it, you know again it's just amazing um how everybody and I know you have not met one person that has that has said to you oh no I the company's perfect and they're co- they, and everything about their you know their culture and their company was perfect and they saw every little detail and they didn't take any offense to any of the things you pointed out I know you, there's probably no one like that because if it was then you wouldn't work with them anyways because obviously they wouldn't have a need but right very 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 interesting um how we become so protective of quote unquote all our babies right so we do uh, we do yeah <laughs> it's just it's amazing it's amazing um some of the stuff that i see and then just reading a book um that you wrote was just like oh wow and it like i said it just took me back down to the basement of my brain and i'm pulling out all these files and sitting there and reminiscing, you know, it's kind of like when you pull out your high school yearbook and you sit on the floor and start looking through it and start reminiscing. Oh, I remember when we took that picture. I remember these guys were so, you know, funny or, you know what, you know what I mean? It's like, it brings up right. all these memories from, from past experiences that you, you know, basically forgotten about. So super, again, that's so true. Cool. Yeah. Super cool information. So I know, I want to ask you something. There's a lot of talk about um, quantum physics, and I'm totally Mm -hmm. into it. I've been into it um, and kind of just stumbled on it accidentally, Um, but I think it's a very cool subject. And um, I know that you can share some words of wisdom with regards to quantum physics and um, cultural brilliance and how those two um, should be in alignment. Or can be in alignment. Yeah, yeah,
1: wisdom. and I think. Mm-hmm. Sorry, go ahead. Share your wisdom with us. Oh yes, thank you. So I, you know, I'm not a specialist, an expert in quantum physics by any means. Just to give that disclaimer, um, but but it's an interesting way. It's it's an interesting lens to look through when we when we view culture and think about culture, right? Because. What we know is that culture operates as a system, and some of the systems we can see and some of them we can't, and like, you know, if you have um, you know, a purchasing function or a sales function in your business, those are systems you can often see. You know, One thing leads to the next. But there's a bunch of intangible systems, like some, some aspects of communication and some aspects of how people relate. And so what, what we'll see in culture is that something that's happening in one part of it will actually impact something that's happening in another part of it, but it won't be necessarily linear or logical. Um, and that's, I think, a really interesting way to to start observing your culture. You know, what happens, I can give you a, a, a quick example, I was doing some uh, cultural assessment work in a company and they were having a manufacturing company and they were having a lot of operational issues and their sales volume has, had increased and the operations weren't really keeping up. So it looked like Mm -hmm. an operational issue, but what we actually found out was, through assessment and and a few other things, was it was actually a communication and how people related to each other issue. Because they were, yeah, it was fascinating. They were very concerned about maintaining their relationships with each other to the point that they would not have tough conversations, to the point that they would not get together and solve problems and things like that. So that's why the operations weren't working well is because they actually weren't sitting down together and saying, okay, let's put our heads together and solve this. Or saying so-and-so in this department, it you know, can we talk about how we can work together more? Our departments can work together more effectively. Right. So it looked like one thing what, was something else completely, and I think that's how – it's one thing that makes c- culture fascinating but also challenging is because it's just not obvious what's impacting wow. what's causing what. Yeah.
0: Wow. Huh? it's sometimes those hard conversations that need to be had. You yeah. know, d- doesn't it it, it? it they just don't happen, and so um, I can see how that would entangle the workings of a company. You know, like sales, mm-hmm. thinking it operations, and and but nobody wanting to tell on anybody because they really liked each other, and you know you don't want to people. You, you work with that you really like you don't want to say well you know you're chewing your gum all the time it gets on my nerves
1: right, <laughs> right you know what exactly. I mean you know?
0: <laughs> or even um I mean that's just it's just weird stuff like that just happens so you know all of this like I said brings out a lot of interesting things and um this really really like makes me want to say, oh, I wonder how the company culture is in my company. And, you know, after mm. reading the book, it's like want to pay more attention to it and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. But I do want to ask you one more question um, as we are getting a little close to our time. I want to ask you one more question with regards to, in the book, you mentioned a cultural safety zone. And because we're kind of talking that moved into this, you know, being able to trust the other person to give you the hardcore fact information without being taken um, offense to it so that the, the company culture can grow, manifest, and become the best it can be. What exactly is a cultural safety zone?
1: So a cultural safety zone is creating an environment in which it feels hopefully safe but at least a little more comfortable to talk about your culture. And, and tell more, tell the truth of your experience with it. So it's, it's you know, talking about how, you know, how can we make this safe for each other? Um, do we have ground rules or guidelines or parameters around the conversation? You know, which could be respect. We won't raise our voices. We're going to allow people to finish their thoughts, you know, things like that um, that are helpful when, you know, when things get tense or people disagree. So it's, it's really, it's designing how you're going to have the conversation about culture so that people can feel a little more, uh open to be vulnerable about their experiences. Because if everyone just says what everyone else wants to hear, then um, you're you know, you're not gonna get anywhere uh in the conversation <laughs> that's useful. Right. Right,
0: right, totally. So, um now tell us with regards to cultural brilliance and you have this, you know, wonderful idea to write this book, which is a it's a great book. It's a it's a nice read, you guys, it's it's not um not a lot of uh, technical mumble-jumble in it. It really is a g- nice, great, easy read. Um has got some really, really good information in here. you know. And, again, it's a step-by-step guide. I like the chapter on design integrity, the transition. Um, I really, really like that because I, I like to operate in integrity with everything I do. For some reason, I just think that comes back to bite you when you don't. Um mm-hmm. and I think yeah. you, you know how that we've all seen that happen. Um but there's so many parts of the book about um just developing a really good cultural profile and having a really good cultural um, DNA. I even even like um the part of the book, there's a part oh, I, I dog eared it. Um there's a part in the book that you talk it you talk about um oh doggone it, of course. The energy of mindset. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, that's so. I love that because I'm all about energy and the energy of listening, how people can listen, you know, hear, but not listen or listen, not, you know, hear. I think Mm -hmm. it's listen and not hear. Um, But again, all of this information plays into helping us to build the culture of our companies that we want. And it's a great, great guide. So, how does those listeners out there that want, to get their hands on this hot book, Cultural Brilliance, The DNA of Organizational Excellence, how
1: do they get a copy of this book? Oh, well, thanks for asking. So two ways that are really easy. One is right on Amazon. Just look up Cultural Brilliance, The DNA of Organizational Excellence, or go to my website, which is culturalbrilliance.com, and you'll find the book and a great resource page, uh, my radio show and, and other podcasts. Um this this podcast will end up on that page as well. Um so uh there's a lot on the website for folks who are interested in learning more.
0: And so tell tell the listeners a little bit more about now do you do any speaking? Do you hold any workshops or anything with mm-hmm. regards to um cultural brilliance and, and developing the just wonderful DNA for organizational excellence?
1: Yeah. So I, yeah, I do, I do speaking engagements, webinars. I'll be doing some webinars this spring, which will be of course, you know, on the website and go out to the mailing list. And I also, I do a lot of consulting work in organizations, but, uh, and and coaching leaders also on, on how to, you know, who they need to be and how they need to be to shift their culture. So I, I, yeah, speaking webinars, workshops, consulting and coaching.
0: So if someone wants to get their little hands on your book or, you know, hear what you have to say live or in person, there's multiple ways that they have access to the book. They have access to your your radio show. They have access to any of the webinars or workshops or speaking things that you might be doing. And they can get all of this information on your website. Can you give your website just one more time for the listeners, please? Sure. It's culturalbrilliance.com. Okay, listeners, there you have it. We've had a wonderful conversation about cultural brilliance, and this does fall into our wealth pillar because with this, you can build and sustain wealthier company um, as you travel down your path to bliss. It's very important, as Claudia has shared with us, to have a company culture that we develop and that we as leaders step into and be the prime shining example for those that we are leading, um, to excellence. And so, again, you want to pick up a copy of the book, Cultural Brilliance, The DNA of Organizational Excellence. It's by Claudette Rowley, and her information will be listed for you guys to all, to all get. And, You want to check her website out for all the information and all the things that she's doing that you can have access to her um, if you're looking for, say, somebody to personally coach you, if you want to bring her into your company to help develop a company culture or corporate culture or to help you figure out what's wrong with yours. um, She is available. So check her out at culturalbrilliance.com. And before we go, I want to say thank you to our sponsors, uh, for Living for You, as well as All Day Cable Inc. Without our sponsors, this show would not be possible. We've been around for quite a while. So thank you. Thank you to our sponsors. Please check them out. we would love to hear from you and help you with uh, your needs that you may have with your wellness, wisdom or wealth, or your telecommunications network distribution stuff. So that's Blissful Living for You dot com and AllDayCableInc.com. dot com and I want to thank you Claudette thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to be a guest here and share your words of wisdom and your expertise on this on this subject um, that does not get talked about enough thank you so much for being a guest today
1: oh thanks so much for having me I real this is a great conversation I enjoyed it and uh, thank you so much thanks for what you Uh-oh. do.
0: Yeah, thank you, thank you, thank you. I I love uh, as you can tell. I can talk my head. I can talk your head off. Um, but, <laughs> <laughs> but it's probably because I'm one of those more wiser, mature girls, right? But that's right. Uh, that's right. But it was fun talking about this subject because it just takes me back to my days in MBA school when I was doing going to UCLA and just having a business and kids and a husband. And, you know, this is a lot of stuff that we talked about. And it's like, and I had fun time believe it or not, all of that. I had fun times. Um, so it, it's just, um, like I said, I had to go in the basement in my head and pull out the file. Um, but thank you so much. And then I want to thank all of the listeners because without you, the show would not be possible so Please share this information with your friends. Share Claudette's information. pick up a book and give it to your friends that you know have businesses or in business, and just you want to help them understand more about corporate culture um and please share the show with as many people as possible in order for us to change the world. We have to get the word out, and it's a domino effect If you tell one person that person tells a person and so on and so forth, we can spread a beautiful message around the world to help all of us have a much enjoyable journey as we travel down our path to bliss. This is the queen of feeling fabulous, Rochelle Marie Lawson. And I want to wish you peace to your mind, wellness to your body, and tranquility to your spirit. Until next time, be healthy, wealthy, and wise. And Bye for now. Bye, everybody. You can
1: find out more about Rochelle on her website, Rochelle Lawson, R-O-C-H-E-L-E, Lawson, L-A-W-S-O-N, or at healthhealingwellness.com. Or just click on her websites from the webtalkradio.net page right in front of you. And, of course, you'll want to come right back here next week for another episode of Blissful Living. Thanks for joining us.